Hello and welcome to the spiritguides.co.uk network radio show with your host Mark Chatterton. Tonight we are pleased to welcome onto the show Nick Ashran, who many of you will know from his Lightworkers Guide to the Galaxy TV show, which is on Sky TV Channel 200. Nick is also well known to many of you through his workshops and appearances at psychic fairs where he draws people's spirit guides for them. Also, Nick is an accomplished musician who has written and performed several of his own albums and has appeared at the world-famous Glastonbury Music Festival. So, a warm welcome to you, Nick. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> right, Thanks. let's start with the first question, because I've been reading your book, which you've written about, about your life story, basically, which is yeah. called By, By the Light of the Star. And yeah. you say in the book that you were born in the UK, but as your father was an airline pilot, you ended up living abroad for much of your childhood. Yes. When, yes. when you look back on that, would you say this gave you a, a more open and accepting attitude to other people? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you probably read in the book that uh, the first seeds of my journey, if you like, was sown when I was eight years old, listening to the story of a man that went around healing people, and I decided at that age that's what I wanted to do. And uh, um, subsequent, subsequently, because living abroad, especially the first countries I went to, like India and Pakistan, I'd never seen people starving on the streets and, and cripples and, um, you know, begging for money on the side of the street. So if you like, that furthered my compassion, that furthered my desire to really want to, you know, I, I felt like, oh, I wish I could heal these people like Jesus did, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So certainly from that point of view, it, it um, fueled my passion to want to be a healer because that was really what... Uh, what I was inspired when I was eight, but I had to wait until I was 21 before I actually came across people that were actually doing that. Yeah. Obviously, healing was one of the things that you sort of went on to do. How how did that come about in your life, and, and do you still practice healing today? Well, basically what happened is one day my mum asked me to uh, accompany her to a spiritualist church because a friend had invited her, and she wanted some moral support. So I was a bit kind of, hmm, wasn't sure what this was all about. But cut a long story short, when I got there, the people were really, really nice. There were people doing healing, and that had been something I'd been searching for ever since I was eight. Because obviously, because I heard the story of Jesus coming from the church, I decided to go to the church, but never really liked it. Never felt that there were satisfactory answers there. Um, and then subsequently, here I am at 21, being introduced to people that are actually doing healing. So I developed my own gift as a healer, but very quickly realized, once I understood how the healing process works and how you're working as a channel for healing energy, that music would be a powerful medium to transmit healing energy. So then I started combining the music and the healing, which I still do to this day, but along the journey... Um, the spirit guide work came into the picture as well okay so there's all these different threads um going on in your life in in your early years obviously when you went to the spiritualist church you must have had some sort of um spiritual knowledge you know what was that like when you you first went did you understand what was going on or was it quite sort well, of new to you i didn't have any pre-knowledge at all i'd never heard of a spiritualist church i'd heard of spiritualism which I thought was people that sit in a dark room all holding hands, asking if anyone's there. 
and the fact that it was a church, and I, by the time I'd got to 18, 19, I didn't I think, want anything to do with conventional religion and the church. So I was somewhat perturbed, um, you know, going along there. But um, as I walked in outside the, the, the spiritualist church, there was the spiritualist creed, and amongst some of the things it said there, it said things like taking responsibility for your own actions, the law of cause and effect, um, the ability to communicate with spirits was making me go, ooh, that's a bit weird, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's almost, as I point, put in my book, it's almost like, and I think, I'm sure I'm not the only one, it's like we know something, but we don't necessarily know what it is we know. And it's only like a process of um, eradication, like, you know, certain things are presented and you go, oh, no, that doesn't feel right to me. And then you look into other things and some little bit resonates with you and you go, ah, I can accept that bit. And that's kind of how it's been for me. It's like I've just been or discovered things that I already knew, but I didn't know I knew them. Can you understand that? Yeah, yeah. So it was sort of hardwired into you, perhaps. Well, I believe that everybody has the knowledge within them. Yeah. uh, And the answers within them. And that's part of what I do in my workshops is empower people to learn to trust in themselves, listen to themselves and their own intuition. And because all the answers are within us, and when certain information is presented in front of us, it will either resonate with us or it won't. And that, to me, if something resonates with you, it's, to me, a confirmation that, yes, I know this already, and it feels right. Yeah, yeah. So... Apart from the spiritual side, you, you've also, um, at an early age, you, ha- you had this gift for art and drawing and so on. I understand that um, you actually spent one or two summers at B- Butlin's drawing people's portraits and things like that. Is well, that, yeah, is that where mean, it all art, started? Well, art and music had always been really important to me from an early age. Um, I was always drawing and always listening to music, and then I learned to play uh, the guitar, and then I started to learn to play the guitar and started writing my own songs at a very early age. So art and music always been really, really important. And my first job when I left art school, I, m- I ended up working at a portrait studio at a holiday camp. It was a Butlin's holiday camp. Um, but then I went off to set up my own little studio in a few private holiday camps. And uh, and then later on, I, worked, I had my own studio at Pontins, drawing people's portraits, which... At the time, obviously, I didn't know was uh, training me, if you like, in the skill to draw faces for my much later career of working as a psychic artist where I'm drawing portraits of people's guides. So how did that come about then, really? How did that come about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, I'll try and be as brief as possible because I know we've only got half an hour. (laughs) (laughs) I was out uh, promoting music and healing but I was doing it at a time when it wasn't really that well known Um, so obviously I struggled financially trying to make a living from it and one day I sat down and put a request to spirit that I needed to find another source of income to support me doing the music but I was very specific in saying that I'm not just talking about any old job it needs to be in line with my spiritual pathway and using whatever gifts I've got and then I forgot about it at the time, I was going around Mind Body Spirit Fairs just promoting my music. And then all of a sudden, mediums and psychics started coming up to me telling me I could be a psychic artist. 
Right. Now, at that point, I had no idea what a psychic artist was, and had it only happened once, I would have dismissed it, but it kept happening. Different events, different mind-body-spirit fairs at completely different parts of the country, different mediums and psychics coming up saying, you could be a psychic artist, you could be a psychic artist. I thought, oh, maybe I should pay attention to this. So yeah. then I started to kind of work and channel through the art. Uh, but at that point, I didn't realize it would ever be an occupation. Right. So um, th that's something that you still do a, a lot nowadays. Yeah, I mean, my main source of income comes from the spirit guide work, um, and I still do the music. Um, in fact, I did put a request out in 2008 that I, when I made that request, I said I said it was to support me doing the music, not take over my life so <laughs> I don't have time to do any music. <laughs> <laughs> And lo and behold, I was invited to go on a, uh, a program on Channel 200 as a guest. And the guy there wanted to talk to me, his name is Philip Gardner, wanted to talk to me about music and healing, and I played a piece of music on the show. When I came off from that interview, that's when Edge Media turned around and said, would I like to have a show of my own? Right. Um, and gave me totally free reign in terms of what kind of show it would be. So I chose to do one about spirituality and light workers. And then the producer also said, oh, Nick, we loved you doing that piece of music. Oh, why don't you finish off each show with a piece of music? Which was great, because at the beginning of that year, I made that request to Spirit. Oh, I'd like to bring my music forward now, please. <laughs> <laughs> so it's amazing, you know, when you put out one of the things that talk about my workshops is the power of intention yeah. and manifestation. Right, Get, getting back to the, the music, um, obviously that's been part of your life from a very early age. You, you were in several groups and so on. Were you consciously trying to make it in the music business then? Well, yeah, I mean, from a very early age, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted a, a career in music, and I started to write music, like commercial-type music. And then as the spiritual side was also starting to come to the fore, I suddenly hit this crossroads, and it was a bit like, ah... Now, do I just pursue music going purely down the commercial road, or do I marry it with healing and go down that pathway? Now, I knew at the time that was probably the harder pathway, but I almost felt like, no, I've got to, make, I've got to take that choice and go down that road. In hindsight, I didn't realize how hard it would be. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was one of the early pioneers of promoting spiritual New Age music here in the UK, um, my first band, which I called Pegasus, I called a New Age rock band, and there wasn't even the term New Age music at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I was inspired by the vision of the New Age that people were talking about that originally came over from the States, this idea of all these many, many different spiritual pathways that were all under one umbrella kind mm. of terms, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't like labels, but the idea of something that... In incorporates so many different spiritual pathways and spiritual beliefs, I thought it was a brilliant thing. It really cut across the, uh, the barriers between, uh, you know, those different beliefs. Yeah, yeah. Because I understand that some of the music you've written, people use it for meditation and, and sort of background music, like in healing sessions and things like that. Absolutely. I mean, all my music is intended to be for healing. But of course, as you know, healing takes many forms. Just uplifting someone is a healing, um, empowering someone, or some of the music will take the person on a spiritual journey if they choose to, to work with it that way. 
So, you know, I don't make any hard and fast statements, this will do this, this will do this. It's a bit like, well, you know, have a listen to the music, see what you're drawn to, and then feel how you feel you want to use it. Yeah, because um, getting back to the book, um, obviously you were sort of around a lot in the uh, 60s when the, the flower power and the sort of hippie well, I was movement. very young then, yeah. 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 But <laughs> you mentioned about sort of taking LSD, and obviously for a lot of people that is quite a, a spiritual experience for them. But for you, you had sort of a, a more different reaction, would you say? Well... I mean, first of all, I was living in a, in a completely different country when all that stuff was going on. And by the time I came back to England, it was towards the tail end of things. That was kind of like dying down. But I had a friend of mine that was really, really mad. He was just into all sorts of different substances, and I was really disagreed with it. But after a, a very, very lengthy conversation, he suggested to me that, you know, because I was talking about spiritual things and whatever, that, um, you know, why don't you have the experience and then you're in a better position to talk about it which made you know I thought, okay fair enough and he sort of was like my guide which was really good you know because the interesting thing is that if you're in a tribal culture at a certain age as an initiation from puberty into man or womanhood you'd actually be taken by the medicine man to undergo an initiation that initiation that would introduce you to the spirit realms where the ancestors live, you would connect with your power animal, and they would use their local psychotropic plants to induce that experience. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I see it very much in that context, and but I was very, very aware of the dangers if you were, one, if you were d doing it, you know, unsupervised, um, and two, going a bit mad with it, you know? Yeah, yeah. But obviously you survived and sort of went on a sort of more well, sort of normal Well, I'm glad spiritual. I had the experience because yeah, I did yeah. have a very, very profound um, experience from it. And, and I, but all it did for me was make me think, well, if, I can if I've accessed that perception, I must be able to access that perception naturally. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is what happened to a lot of people in the 60s. A lot of, uh, even the Beatles, they went on to explore different spiritual uh, pathways like the Maharashi with meditation. Um, George Harrison got into the Krishna. Other well-known musicians got into Buddhism. And I think their experience from the LSD thing made them realize there's this whole realm of perception and awareness that they wanted to explore. But like myself, must be able to find and access that naturally. Yeah, yeah. Which is the purpose of why the tribal peoples do it. They don't do it to introduce them to psychotropic plants so they just get stoned out of their head every night. <laughs> it's to induce that experience, but once they've had that experience, they, ha they know that reality. Yeah. And then they're, they're then disciplined in training and learning to maintain that perspective and, and reality and incorporating it into their daily life the awareness that we also have a spiritual counterpoint, you know, a uh, counterpart. Yeah, because, uh, that, uh, sorry, um, I'm you just saying that's the way that I viewed it. Yeah, yeah, because I was going to say to you that there seems to be a bit of a, a trend nowadays where people, some sort of in a new age movement, people fly out to South America and go out into the jungle and they, they try this um, hallucinatory drug sort of in, in the jungle 
and sort of like almost like package tour sort of thing. Do you have any views on that at all? Or do you think it's I a think bit dangerous? I think what you're talking about is the people that go and do the ayahuasca. That's, that's it, yeah, I couldn't pronounce it, so, yeah. Um, well, I don't know, because I've never actually tried it myself, never experienced it, so I don't know. Um, those people, in fact, even close friends of mine that have, have, have commented that it's a very profound experience. It's not one of those things that you use recreationally. You have to be... The whole thing has to be overseen by a medicine man or a shaman because they're the ones that are holding the energy so that you're in a safe environment because apparently it can put you through some very, very intense um, clearing and yeah. blockages and things. It accelerates you through. Well, of course, you know, that can be pretty scary. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I mean, LSD does that. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but obviously not supervised, not overseen. So my understanding with ayahuasca is it's it's just done in a ceremonial way. It's not done as a light-hearted, hey, we're all going to get tripped out of our heads. It's done in a very, you know, uh, sacred way, is my understanding. But not having personally experienced, I can't really comment on, you know, no. on it on that point. Okay. Um, obviously, in your book, you you have your life seems to be going quite nicely and then you have this sort of like a, a dark night of the soul experience where you have all these panic attacks and it stopped you living life normally for several months or, or, or whatever. How, what advice would you give to people who, listening tonight who might be going through a similar experience? Because obviously well, you came out the other end. I came out the other end and one the, the understandings, the insights that came out of that, that what I was experiencing, experienced was akin to what they call the shaman's death. Yeah. Um, when you're on a spiritual pathway and when you're undergoing, you, you will go under, undergo initiations. If you were in some particular spiritual tradition, you would voluntarily undergo certain initiations to progress on your path, yeah? Yeah. But if you're just, you know, a, a free spirit and you're living your life, I mean, life's always been my teacher, and because my guides are with me and because I do, I've always had this um, urge and desire to progress and progress and refine my spirituality, I would have gone through initiations, but they're just like life situations. But nevertheless, what you're going through would be akin to various different initiations. And the one that was very, very marked was this concept of the shaman's death, where you basically face all your fears. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you come out the other side, you come out obviously much, much stronger. In my situation, everything that I placed as security external from me was taken away, which meant there was only one place for me to find it, and that yeah. was inside. Yeah. So the gift that came out of that was discovering that the one person that I should really trust, the one person I should really honor and really value and make sure that I look after is myself right and therefore nurturing oneself is one of the keys I talk about in my workshops the key to as far as I'm concerned is nurturing yourself so that you maintain your well-being we very often take our well-being for granted and it's not until it's taken away that you realize that nothing means anything if you haven't got your well-being so that again was one of the key things that uh, you know, I was made to realize how important, essential our well-being is. It's the core. It's the, 
it's the hub, if you like, of our perception of reality and what we manifest around us because things will manifest as a mirror of the way we feel about ourselves and the way we view ourselves. So if anyone's going through that kind of thing, I would just say that you, you will get through it. But in the meantime, do everything you can just to nurture yourself um, and allow yourself, if you like. Don't beat yourself up because that's, that just makes things worse because very often we go through these things and we can burden ourselves because what happened with me is I kept burdening myself with more fear, more fear, more panic, thinking, oh, my God, this is never going to end. What's going to happen to me? Oh, my God, what if this never stops? And then I was just getting even more and more and more in a desperate state. Um, and one of the key things as well that helped me through that was, uh, which was a very useful, powerful thing, that was to live in the now. Just be in the now of each moment. Just take each moment by each moment, in the now, being as present as you can be, nurturing yourself in the present. Um, otherwise, your mind will start going off on all these various tangents, which will actually further burden you even more. Because even in spite of what I went through, somehow I was taken care of. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, obviously, this ties in a bit. You said mentioned your workshops. What what sort of things do you you deal with in in the workshops that you lead? Well, the key things that I've been talking about in my workshops is uh, I've been calling preparing for 2012 and becoming the star that you are. Now, basically, the key part of the workshop is really about giving people very powerful but very simple tools that will enable them to uh, nurture themselves. Um, become a, a more positive creator of their own reality. Um, in other words, co-creating, if you like, with their reality and empowering them. And then in respect of the 2012 prophecies, there is so much um, stuff. One of the things I say to people at the moment is about that really use your discernment yeah. regarding any channeled information, any information about this, go with what feels right for you. But at the end of the day, we are creating it as a, as a species. We're creating whatever potentials. The prophecies relating to 2012 are a potential. Yeah. It's up to us as an individual whether we make that happen or not. So what I say to people is, look, whatever vision you would choose for this world how you would choose this world to be, what would be a more desirable reality to live in, become it. You be it, because the most powerful way you make things happen is by becoming it. So choose your vision, become your vision, live your vision, honor yourself, value yourself, trust your own intuition, because you have all the answers within you. Be very discerning about other people's information. Okay, if there are bits that resonate with you, fine. But at the end of the day, ultimately, we are each individually our own greatest guide. Hence, the light of our own star. That's why the book's called By the Light of the Star. It's your own higher self guiding you. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about 
what you you felt about 2012 but I, I guess from what you're saying it's really up to the individual what, what's going to happen or whatever yeah I very I very I resonate a lot with the Hopi Indian prophecies if anyone's got time to have a look at the Hopi Indian prophecies and the general flavor that they indicate I really resonate with them because they're basically saying that there is a potential here there'll be a, a, a an awakening of spirituality as we get close to the date which we see there are more and more people waking up spiritually there are more and more people choosing to walk a spiritual pathway this is in totally in line with the Hopi Indian prophecies and at the end of the prophecies that say as we get closer to the time false gurus will be exposed and then the real masters will reveal themselves and the real masters are the ordinary man and woman in the street as they recognize their own divine creatorship as being creators in our own right. And finally, they say in Hopi Indian prophecies that we are the ones we have been waiting for. (laughs) (laughs) So rather than some external savior coming to sort out all our problems, we take our power back, we empower ourselves, we really master our own reality. We were the ones that make the difference. So ultimately, we are the ones that save the day. Yeah, I think that's very true, that. And I like that. That's yeah, what yeah. I like. That's the thing that I choose to focus on. And, and at the end of the day, in my workshops, yes, I talk about some of the other aspects, the star children, the UFO stuff, the crop circle stuff. But even if you were to take that all out and only be left with the tools, simple, powerful tools that the individual can take away with them that day at the workshop, and if they apply them, they will benefit them. They will enhance their own personal reality moment by moment, day by day. Yeah, that's, that's good. All right, we're sort of coming near to the end of, of our time together. But I was just okay. going to ask you, um, what, what's happening with you in 2012? Because are you doing a new uh, TV series or anything like that? I've just done a series of new shows. Right. Um, and I will be taking a break from it and, and looking down other avenues. Um, I'm going to be focusing much more on my workshops and on my music. That's my goal for this year. Um, there's a fairy festival um, in, in June, the 15th to the 17th of June in Cornwall, called the three wishes fairy festival and i'll be playing with my band elfin spiral there right um and uh, and then workshops they can be organized individually if individuals want to organize a group of people um then i you know i'm happy to do a workshop because i'll do a workshop with a minimum of, minimum of 10 people so you know that could even be accommodated in the people's home if they wanted you know yeah yeah but very much this year particularly, I want to really start bringing the music even more forward than I have done before, because it's time. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously all the details of your workshops and your albums are, are on your, your website, which, yes. which is yeah. nickashram.com, is that correct? nickashram.com, yeah. And I'm also, you know, I post things up on my Facebook page uh, where I'm going to be, any events I'm doing and so on. Right. Well, that's been really interesting to hear, hear what you've had to say tonight, Nick. And oh, thank you. I thank you very much for 
agreeing to do the interview and for sharing some of the important things that have happened to you in your life. And we wish you well for the rest of 2012 and, and beyond, obviously. Wherever beyond may be. Yeah, whatever that... <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for my Starship Pegasus to come there. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you, Mark. got the thumbs up, so, yeah, we're, 